question. Can you hear my, um, my I yelled too much at the Mardi Gras parade last night voice that I've got going today? This is usually either my I've got a cold voice or it's my I yelled too much at the parade last night voice. And in, in my case, it's the I yelled too much. You know, Kenner, Kenner has a parade now. And so we're super pumped about that out in Kenner. We had a good time and uh, I'm going to encourage you next year. Come out to Kenner and parade with us. It was awesome. Um, so here's the actual question that I want to start out with this morning. When you think about yourself, do you think, um, man, I'm, I'm ordinary, I'm average, you know, I'm just kind of a normal run-of-the-mill person, or do you think of yourself as more the uh, unique and extraordinary? Do you know what I mean? So I think that you know, we all have a different perspective on ourselves, um, but put a little, I'm going to give us a little uh, challenge this morning to maybe our perspective on ourselves, and really over the course of this um, brand new series we're kicking off um, this week, we're going to do that as well. So um, I think that probably most, though, like if we uh, put ourselves on the scale of ordinary uh, or average to extraordinary, we, we probably would gravitate in our own minds to, I'm, an, I'm a normal guy, or I'm a normal girl, like I'm, I'm just ordinary kind of person, and that's, that would be normal if, if you're the other side, like calm down a little bit. Um, but today we're kicking off a new series, it's eight weeks, it's called Not So Average Joe. And uh, I don't know that that's creative or not, Augustine actually and, and I were talking about this series about the character Joseph in the Old Testament, and we were trying to come up with a what, to, what to say about it, and, uh, and it just kind of popped out, and I was like, that's a terrible idea, it was my idea. <laughs> and I said, that's a terrible idea, it's dumb, and then about three days later when we couldn't come up with anything else, Augustine was like, well, how about not so average Joe? <laughs> and I was like, sounds great, so we're going to go with it. And so um, we're in this series about this guy named Joseph, Old Testament character, Joseph, not to be confused with like stepfather of Jesus, Joseph in the New Testament, but the Old Testament character, Joseph, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then 11th son, Joseph, that guy. You know, we uh, picked him because I feel like in the grand like story of, of, of God in the Old Testament, he kind of gets skipped over. He's got some great stuff some great material, but usually Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like they're considered the patriarchs, right? Um, they get a lot of airtime. They get like three quarters of the book of Genesis. And then you uh, flip over there and the next character after Joseph and all of his, his stuff is uh, Moses and uh, the uh, Exodus. And he, that bit story basically gets a whole book. And so you got Joe kind of slammed there in the middle, and he's got the patriarchs on one side and Moses and the Exodus on the other, and he's got some great material, but sometimes he gets lost in the mix, and I really like Joe. And so we're going to spend eight weeks, Augustine and I, um, we're going to spend eight weeks exploring this guy's story, exploring his life, and uh, I believe drawing some things for ourselves and for the church um, as, we, uh, as we kind of work through some things. And so um, this morning, uh, I want to present the sermon and the teaching time uh, in a way that a lot of movies tell a story. I want to begin at the end of the story. This is, this is what they do in the movies a lot of times. They'll start at the end. They'll give you kind of a sense of, the, of how it culminates, or there'll be some big action scene and a fiery crash, and then, you know, the, the guy rescues the girl or whatever it is. And you're like, yes. And then it's like, well, let me tell you this story now, Right? And so we want to do that um, this morning. We want to kind of give you the end of the story and then in the coming weeks kind of flash back to different scenes throughout Joseph's life 
So we're going to do this because the truth is along the way, there's some dark moments for Joseph. And um, when we get to those dark moments, we'll have whole weeks where we're dealing in difficult, the difficulty of Joseph's life. And I think it's important for us to have had a flash of the end of the story because it helps us um, recognize and realize the purpose for which the dark season exists. And so this morning, we're going to um, do two things. We're going to look at the end of Joseph's story, and then um, we're going to do the opposite, almost like um, bookends. We're going to look at the end of the story, and then we're going to ask the question, who is this guy and where did he come from? And so we're going to look at the story behind the story, the story that kind of leads up to the story, the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, truthfully, and some of their exploits. And uh, I say it that way on purpose. You'll see. So um, Sarah read the text a few minutes ago, and because she did, I just want to summarize. Here's the scene. Daddy Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, he's dead. And now Joseph's brothers, they're afraid. And um, they're afraid because they did, truthfully, if you know the story of Joseph, they did something really terrible to Joseph when he was a 17-year-old kid. And now many years later, Joseph's this powerful ruler in Egypt with the authority to, to give or take their lives. And so the assumption for the brothers is the only reason Joseph's being nice to us is because he wants to honor dad. And now dad's dead and we're dead. That's their thought. And so that's, that's the scene here. And um, basically in this uh, part of the text, uh, the brothers fall on their faces before Joseph and they beg for mercy. Joseph's response is, is a powerful and redemptive response. First he says, you caught it. I, I, lo- I love the moment in the story, as, as Sarah read. He says, am I God? So they kind of have this expectation that as soon as um, they get back to the house and dad is buried and put away, that they're dead and put away. And so they bring his, their um, concerns to Joseph. They fall on their faces. They beg for mercy. And Joseph looks at him and kind of has this expression on his face. I think he's kind of sad. He's like, am I God? Now, I'm not sure uh, what you pull from that, but I think it's super important because in Egypt, where Joseph is, is a ruler, he's like the number two guy in the land. He's just rescued all of the people of Egypt and truthfully all the people of the world because of one of his dreams came true. Like he's, he's the most important guy other than the Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And so um, in that culture, and in that world, people who are at that status, that level, the Pharaoh, they saw him as a god, and everybody that was uh, just under Pharaoh, they were godlike too. They had the authority, or they worked at the behest of, of God, not God like big G God, but God like Pharaoh God. And so they were seen as little gods even. And so Joseph has this power where um, others would have seen him as godlike or representative of the uh, Pharaoh, the god of that day. And his first answer to his brothers is, am I God? Am I God? Am I God? Um, But not Joseph. Um, You know, he doesn't see himself as, as, as God. Most would have seen him as God, but not Joseph. He knows that God is God, and he recognizes that his place is as a servant of God. And at the end, we're going to come back to that and mention it again. But I think it's super important that no matter what happened over the course of Joseph's journey, that even to the very end of Joseph's story, um, he had all the reason in the world to, to gloat over these guys, to punish them, to uh, rain hellfire and brimstone down on, on his brothers. But in the end, he says, I'm not God. 
I'm, uh, I'm, not, um, I'm not here to, to judge you. I'm not here to um, enact vengeance on you because I'm not God. God is God, and I'm his servant. Then you look at verse 20, and I, I want to read actually verse 20 because I think it's actually a critically important verse to the entire series that we're going to work through. Joseph says, right after he says, I, am I God? He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Let me read that again, because that's not always our perspective, is it? We're in the middle of some big hairy mess, we're suffering, we're struggling. But Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So in this verse, we see Joseph held not Joseph's perspective, because I'm thinking even Joseph probably has some feelings, you know, you can't have some feelings if, and you'll see this story unfold, if you get sold into slavery, you know, you get betrayed, you get lied about, you get left in prison. I mean, you go through all of this stuff, and it all stems back to the decision that your brothers made. You can't help but have some feelings. But God has taken Joseph through some things. And Joseph is not carrying Joseph's perspective or an earthbound perspective. Joseph is carrying God's perspective on his circumstances. Do you see that? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are, um, as they are today. This is amazing. The only people who do this are those who have been through it, have walked the difficult road, but have experienced the faithfulness of God again and again and again and again. And those who have who have walked in the word, who walked with the Lord, have experienced God's faithfulness, they can say in the end, my perspective and my feelings don't really matter that much. The only perspective and feelings that matter is God's because I've got a God that's faithful and I trust in him and my joy is in him alone, not my circumstances. And so over the course of Joseph's life, God has been faithful. And you will see this as the, as the story unfolds. God's been faithful to transform Joseph's heart and his life. He's been faithful to bring him to maturity. He's been faithful to help him gain and embrace the perspective of the Lord. And then in verse 21, Joseph goes on to say, don't be afraid, guys. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to comfort you. Do you see that? In the comfort section, it says, and he comforted them. So there's something he's doing. Joseph basically becomes the hands of God for the family of God. God is the protector. God is the provider. God is the ultimate comforter. But Joseph knew that he was a representative of the caretaker. The one who lived as a functional representative of the Lord his God, as a caretaker of the people, working to serve them for their good and for God's glory. You see that? So we have Joseph recognizing God as God, even in a position of extreme authority. We see Joseph bearing the perspective of the Lord in spite of his feelings. We have Joseph taking those that he ought to hate and bringing them in and becoming a caretaker for them and loving them and serving them and even verbally encouraging them, all out of the joy of his own relationship with God. I mean, greater love, no greater love is, is there than this, than, than a man lays life down for his friends. Like This is what Jesus did for us. And the truth is, even back in the Old Testament, it's what Joseph does for his brothers. To take his enemies and to make him his friends, to serve those who mistreated him and to meet their needs and encourage them and be an instrument of God's care in their lives and in their children's lives. 
So, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph's life, you know how amazing this is. So we're going to see today and next Sunday that Joseph, truthfully, when he started out as a 17-year-old kid, was, was a punk kid. Like, when you look at your life at 17, if you were a punk kid like I was a punk kid, then you're, Joseph is your guy. Joseph's your guy. But the cool thing is, there's this big but God in Joseph's story. And for you, if you're a Christian, there's a big but God in your story too. You're a punk kid, maybe you're broken, maybe you've experienced difficulties and traumas and all sorts of other things, but God, rich in wonderful mercy, redeemed Joseph, humbled Joseph, shaped Joseph, repurposed Joseph. God gave him eyes to see the perspective of the Lord and to become the extraordinary man that, he would li- that would ultimately live for God's glory and the good of God's people. It's an amazing narrative that God, God's word plays again and again and again and again and again and that God is playing in your life today. He takes broken, messed up people, he redeems them, he shapes them, and he uses them for his glory and the good of his people. You see, the truth is that God made a promise many years before to Joseph's great-grandfather, a man named Abraham, that he would make their family a great nation, that that promise was at risk, but God. And he used Joseph as his hands and feet, as his instrument to preserve his promise among God's people. And, and truthfully, that's the big idea for today. So if you're writing down the big idea, and not just for today, it's the big idea for the whole series. It's the lens through which we'll see the entire series in the life of Joseph. Write this down. I'll read it a couple of times because I'm not sure. That's not, we're not quite there yet. I forgot to add this one in the mix, so we'll just have to write it. It's not on the screen. God redeemed you and has a purpose, has purposed every part of your story, difficulties and all, for his glory and the good of his people. I'll say it a couple of more times because I, I forgot to put it on the screen. God redeemed you and has purposed every part of your story, difficulties and all, for his glory and for the good of his people. One more time. God redeemed you and, his perp- and has purposed every part of your story, difficulties and all, for his glory and the good of his people. So I want to pause here and recognize that um, the truth is that many of us here today may be in the, in the valley of despair now. We may be walking through difficulties now. We may have ex- you may have experienced the loss of a loved one. You may be sick or somebody that you know is sick. You're struggling with something at work. Something that's identity and value shifting has uh, happened in your life. And it's painful and it's difficult. And uh, for that, I'm deeply, uh, deeply sorry. You know, living the Christian life in a broken world is hard. But I want to invite you to catch a glimpse of the end of the story through the lens of Joseph's life and to trust Jesus who's with you and is working it all for his glory and the good of his people. Church family, trust him. Keep walking by faith. He's for your good. He's for your, his glory. So that's the end of the story. Now, what about Joe's people? What about Joe's people? By his people, I mean his family. Where did this guy come from? Flip back with me for just a few minutes to Genesis chapter 17. 
Genesis chapter 17. So that's Genesis chapter 50, the end of the story. Genesis chapter really 15 through 17 is the beginning of Joseph's heritage, the beginning of Joseph's story. Where did Joe come from? Um, I know it's a lot of flipping, but their story is a long story. So 50 all the way back to 17. You can do it. Write this down. This is the first thing that I want you to write down, first point. You know, um, Joe's people were, God, were God's people of promise. Joe's people were God's people of promise. So way back in Genesis 17, 1 through 8, God spoke to Joseph's great grandfather, Abraham, and he made him a promise. I want to read the promise real quick. Because um, as we work through Joseph's story, and we know that God has a promise that he has made to Joseph and his people, we need to remember that his great-grandfather received this promise and that God is continuing it generation after generation. The text says, uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 17 of Genesis, when Abram, who would ultimately be uh, Abraham, no, when Abraham, who ultimately be Abram, uh, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you of the father of a multitude of nations I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offsprings af offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offsprings after this land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, in this text, God made a promise to Abraham that he would multiply him greatly, that he'd make him a great nation, that kings would come from him, um, and that uh, the promise would be everlasting, that they would possess a promised land, that God would be their God forever. It's a pretty big promise. You know, nobody else has been plucked out of human history and, and sat down before the Lord, and God made a promise this big. So God made a massive promise to Abraham. Um, if you were to study the lives of Abraham and then his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob and the life of our friend Joe, you'd find that God often reiterates and renews the same promise that he made to Abraham to new generations of Abraham's family. The book of Genesis uh, makes it clear. Joseph's people were God's people of promise. And uh, over and over again, no matter whether life was up or life was down, God was reiterating his promises. No matter whether they were walking in holiness or they were walking in sin, God was reiterating his promise. No matter whether they were in a dark valley or, it was a, or the sun was up and the birds were chirping, God was renewing his promise. We have a promise-keeping God, uh, promise-making God, and a promise-keeping God, and these people were his people of promise. Did you know that um, if you're in Christ that you are also a part of the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did you know that? That God's promise has been from generation to generation to generation, and that you're a people included in the promise that God made to Abraham. Jesus came from this family, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
and was ultimately the fulfillment of this promise. Jesus opened the door for anyone who embraces him by faith to be included as a part of the people of God, the promise people of God. So if you're a Christian here today, if you've embraced Christ Jesus, just like Joseph, you are, a, you are one of God's people of promise. And just like Joe's people were God's people, Christian friend, your people are God's people too. These people gathered here with us this morning, these people of God are your people. Just like Joseph had 11 brothers and a whole bunch of sisters and a, and a father and a mother, and uh, there would be generations that would follow um, in Egypt and, then, and beyond. You know, over a million people came out of Egypt, bondage in Egypt um, some 400 years later. Um, all the way down that lineage, up and down that lineage, uh, no matter where we find ourselves, um, we're, we're God's people. On this side of the cross, Jesus has invited us in. No matter what our ethnicity, no matter what we bring to the table or don't bring to the table, Jesus has brought us in, and he's redeemed us, and he's made us his people, the people of promise. So you're a person of promise in Christ. And if you look around here this morning, these are your people. They're your people. So as we observe God's work in Joseph's life, know that God is st uh, still at work in many of the same ways in our lives, shaping us into extraordinary men and women that God uses for his glory and the good of his people. You're people of promise. And the good that God does in Joseph's life in the coming weeks that we explore is the same good that the Lord wants to do in your life. The discipline that God allows in Joseph's life, the shaping that God does in Joseph's life, the redeeming that God does in Joseph's life is the same sort of redeeming and shaping and, and restoring that God wants to do in your life. But not just for you. But just like with Joseph, for the good of his people and for the glory of the Lord in the world. He's at work in your life. And so our hope is that this can be an encouraging time as God's people of promise to see life through the lens of Joseph's life and be encouraged that no matter where we find ourselves, up, down, left, or right, that God, God's got a plan. And it's for the glory of Christ. And it's for the good of God's people. Next, write this down. <laughs> this is my favorite point. They're all fun. But this is my favorite. Joe's people were messy people. Now, some of you may not understand what I mean by messy. You know, different cultures use the word messy in different ways, different people. You could have said they were broken people or they were messed up people. But when you throw messy in there, it just sort of uh, implies that they're a mess and their, their family dynamics full of drama. And so I'm sorry that I have to define that for some, um, but that's what I mean. Like Joseph's people are, are messy they're, they're dramatic. They, uh, it's ugly sometimes. Oftentimes we think, well, if God's going to use me, i got to get all fixed up. But I want to prove to you that that's absolutely not the case. Joseph enters the scene, and his people are messy people. And next week we'll look more directly at Joseph's life, and we're going to find that Joseph's messy too. At the very beginning of the story, all we see is mess from Joseph. We're going to save that for next week, but we'll focus in on Joe's people for just a minute. I don't know uh, where you come from or who your people are, but it's probably a lot like Joseph's people. You'd expect God's people to be great people or holy people or exceptional people or almost perfect people, but the truth is they're average, ordinary people. 
That's the kind of people God chooses. Average, ordinary, sometimes plain. You know, we talked about average Joe and plain Jane, and uh, we couldn't figure out the artwork, and so we almost did like a name tag artwork where, it's, where we hand out name tags at the, at the front door that said average Joe and plain Jane, and just let everybody embrace it. Because the, at first, before the first sermon, you would have been like, well, that's not super nice. But then afterwards, you come to realize God uses average, ordinary, plain people to do great and extraordinary things for his glory and the good of his people. And so Joe's people, they're messy just like the rest of us. God chooses messy people. Look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the mess that they made of their lives for just a second. Did you know, did you know that Abraham slept with his wife's servant, Hagar, because his wife was having a hard time conceiving? Now, that was sort of normal practice back then, but he still doubted God's promise and took matters into his own hands, literally. You caught that. Abraham lied to powerful men and said that his wife was his sister more than once. He thought they would kill him because his wife was beautiful. So in order to protect his wife and really protect his own life, I mean, um, he sold his wife out. Not cool. You know, the apple doesn't fall far, far from the tree because Abraham's son Isaac lied about his wife too and said that he, she was his sister. Like father, like son, you know? Oftentimes, the sins of the father, the sins of the mother are passed down to the sons and the daughters. What you see is what you do. It's a little messy. That ought to be scary for every parent in the room. But the guy I want to give the most to is, and because I think it's a significant relationship, the father-son relationship, um, or the daughter-father relationship. I want to give the most uh, airtime to uh, J- Joe's dad, Jacob. Old Jake. Guy's a piece of work. Jacob and his, uh, his mom, Isaac's wife, Joseph's grandmother, Rachel, conspired to deceive Isaac. They stole Isaac. Um, uh, <laughs> that was great. That was distracting, but it was awesome. <laughs> they conspired to deceive Isaac. They stole Isaac's end-of-life blessing from the older brother Esau. Jacob actually, catch this, can you imagine? Everyone who's ever had a, had a little boy that was a son that dressed up, you can picture this. Um, but Jacob uh, played dress up, changed his voice, kind of probably a little bit like my voice has been changed today, and showed up before his father and deceived his father into stealing his brother's blessing. Like, he took animal skin, put it on his arms and his you know, body, and dad touched him, and he's like, oh, you're rough, like, you know, you, you must be Esau, and he's like, uh, yes, dad, and I uh, played dress up to deceive his dad. Then later, Jacob manipulated his brother out of some of his inheritance over a bowl of stew or soup. Maybe it was gumbo, you know, maybe it was worth it, but there was this deception um, that was, uh, that was played, and, um, and uh, Jacob got his brother's inheritance in a way. He married, um, because of this, he had to flee for his life. I don't know if you realize this. He ends up at his uncle's house, Laban, and he um, begins to have eyes for his mother's brother's daughter, if you caught that. He thinks she's beautiful. He's like, that's a hottie right there. I want her for my wife. And so he goes to Laban, he starts pursuing, he does some work, and uh, 
they have a wedding, and he does what you do right after you get married, and he wakes up, and he turns over, and it's his, 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 uh, the girl he thought was Hot's uh, ugly sister. Messy. And then he went to Laban, and there was all kinds of drama about it. He was like, no, I want her. She's the one that's beautiful. And so here he goes. He works for another seven years, and he gets the other one, and they get married, right? And you think, okay, he got what he wanted, but now he's got two wives. I love my wife. She's wonderful and perfect, but one's enough. One, you know, you don't, you don't, one at a time. God designed it this way, but he's got all kinds of stuff going on. He's got two. And it plays out in this crazy way because um, the one that he wanted really wanted to have children, but, but, but for some reason she couldn't. And so here goes Leah, the uglier sister, and she starts popping babies out left and right. And that makes um, uh, the sister super jealous. And so she gets mad and there's this tiff between sisters. And um, the sister that's wanted is like, why don't you take, uh, just like, you know, grandpa, great grandpa did, why don't you take my servant and you can have babies with her and then they'll be my babies and then they'll count for me. And so Jacob does. So now he's got three wives. And then... She stops having babies. Leah gets jealous again because her body has stopped having babies. And so the ugly sister's like, hey, why don't you take my servant and you can have babies with my servant and then they can be my babies too. And so he does. And so, uh, and there's a weird little story in, in the middle of all this about uh, this, this, uh, this uh, plant product that they basically barter for. And um, one of the sisters basically um, buys time with the husband with this plant in order so they could, you know, do what they do so they have babies. It's messy. So eventually we've got a guy who, um, who has two wives, one that's attractive, one that's not so attractive, one that he likes, one that he just puts up with. We've got a servant and a servant, children, 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 children. And it only lists um, 12 boys and one daughter. But I'm going to tell you, the odds are not very good that she, they only had one daughter. There's a reason they mentioned the one daughter. Because the one daughter got violated by a bunch of people one time, and um, all the brothers got together, and they, like, chopped some people to pieces. Messy. It's the only reason her name's mentioned in the whole story. And so there's... If you just double the guys, there's like 20-something children in the mix. Between four women, I, I don't know. Uh, Joseph's got a situation on his hands, literally. On one hand, he has four wives. Now, from his perspective, I don't share his perspective, but there's pros and cons there. But on the other hand, you've got the cons. Like, that's a lot of drama. And I don't mean to imply that women, don't take that the wrong way, but he's just got a lot on his hands. He's got a lot going on in his household. Let me tell you, um, I have one wonderful wife and I have four children and one on the way, and we've got a lot going on in our house. I cannot imagine what this guy's got going on. So um, Joe's people are messy people. Messy people. So next week, we're going to dig into Joseph's life. He's a little bit messy, too. He's got some things going on. He started out as a punk kid, a cocky, self-absorbed dreamer uh, with, honestly, very little common sense. That's Joseph's uh, start, start out of the gate. He's messy, too. Um, 
I don't know about um, your story or your extended family or where you come from, but I'm going to guess you got some mess in there too. I'm going to guess when you look at your family, your parents, your grandparents, your cousins, the people you associate and affiliate with most closely, there's some that you're really glad to bring out and show everyone, and there's some that you're just like, that's Uncle Jimmy, you know? You got mess too. Write this down. This is the final point. God redeems and prepares broken people or messy people to be used for his glory and the good of his people. This is super good news. Super good news. God redeems and prepares broken people to be used for his glory and the good of his people. That's, that, that's amazing news. You know, uh, in many ways, our identity and our lives are shaped by um, who our people are. The examples our family gives, the ways we were raised, they, they cause us to usually one or two extremes, either to have a too high view of ourselves or too low view of ourselves, to think certain sins are inescapable because my dad or my mom did it that way, or the traumas of our past, the difficulties of our family um, dynamic. We think, um, that happened to me, these things happened to me, this is the experiences I've had, I'm too broken, I'm too limited, certainly God wouldn't use this. But let me tell you something. God not only works with messy sinners, God prefers them. God not only works with messy sinners. It's not like God's like, oh, you know, that guy, he's a little bit messy. He's got a little bit of junk. Um, and so I guess we'll kind of slide him into the list and we'll let him be a part of the story. That's not how God works. It's not how he works at all. As a matter of fact, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Catch this. Listen to God's perspective on who we are, who we are not, and what he chooses to use for his purposes. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God. Did you hear that? But God. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. But God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. But God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Jesus Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think it's amazing and it's, it's just incredibly great news that God chose the foolish things. Now, I'm not trying to call names and, you know, point you out here today. But I'm going to guess that for most of us, when we think about the, the ordinary or the extraordinary dynamic that, that we asked about in the very beginning, most of us in the room, we put ourselves on the list of foolish things, weak things, not so wise things, powerful things, unimportant things, despised things. Friend, if we're making a list of 
qualifications to be chosen, redeemed, and used of the Lord. That list you've made for yourself that looks all nice and pretty is not worth much. But the real list is of high value to Jesus. Because God uses the foolish things, the weak things, the not-so-wise things, the powerless things, the unimportant things, the despised things, so that he might receive all the glory. All of it. Consider what little we know about Joseph's life so far. We know the end of the story. The end. Joseph became an influential man who said to his brothers who were begging for mercy, Am I God? In other words, I'm not God. I'm not God, but I know him and I serve him. Joseph knew he and his brothers were people of God's promise. That's what we know. We know that Joseph knew at the end of the, uh, end of the story that he knew and embraced God's perspective, that he, God had transformed Joseph's life and had given him the ability to see the big picture, see God's picture, to see the family within the grand plan of God. There was a, a maturing for Joseph. We know that in the end, that God used Joseph to protect, to provide, and to comfort his brothers and their families. And Joseph became the hands and feet and the voice of the Lord in their lives, um, in, in the lives of the people of God, all for the glory of God and the good of the people. So we know the beginning, the end of the story. We also know the story before the story. We know that Joe's people were messy people, but they were people of promise people God had made a promise to, that God would keep. People who deserved to be counted out rather than counted on. But that's just like God. But God, who is rich in mercy, chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. All for his glory and for the good of his people. Church, can I be frank? We set vision out before the church, and by the church, I mean a collective group of people that are made up of individuals who God wants to use each of us for his glory and collectively to demonstrate the glory of Christ Jesus through the church. Like, church, stop allowing where you come from, your perspective on yourself, to dictate your potential. Listen to me. Stop allowing where you come from and all of the excuses that your heart cries. Stop allowing that to dictate your potential. Stop letting your past determine your past pains, your past difficulties to keep you from the future that God wants for your life. Now that future might not be easy. We're going to see in the story of Joseph's life that there are moments throughout his story that are not easy. And the truth is, it may not get easier until we're pushing up daisies and we're standing before the king of kings. But the truth of the matter, the truth of the matter is, we can't allow our present suffering and our past difficulties to dictate whether or not God wants to use us. Because he does. God wants to take you and me and us in all of our mess and make something beautiful and useful for his glory 
and the good of his people. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. I can tell you from experience, God's plan is not always, honestly, most of the time, it's not easy. It's complicated. It's painful. There's lots of wrestling. But you know what's beautiful about the Christian life, what sets it apart from every other life around us? We have joy in the end of the journey, and we have joy in the middle of the journey. And this life is wonderful even when life is in the pit because we have God. We have him. And it's the joy that we have in knowing God as we walk through this journey and trusting that he has a purpose and a plan for it all that shines in us. So I want to invite you. Uh, buckle your seatbelts in the series on the average, on the not so average Joe, because God wants to take your not so your your, your average and ordinary self and 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 make make something something truly beautiful. Let me pray for us, Father. Thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to see um, Joseph's future and Joseph's past. And um, God, I pray as we explore um, the life of Joseph that you would show us your faithfulness in Joseph's life to bring about what the world counted out um, to bring about a person who could be counted on to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus um, among the people of God. Jesus, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.